have the water in that so I wouldn't spill it this time. <laughs> well, I'm going to open your Bible to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, preaching through the Gospel of John. John 9 and verse 1. It says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither have this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And let's pray. Dear Father, we're so grateful that you sent your Son, Jesus, to be the light of the world. And we see that people today wrestle with the same kind of questions that these disciples wrestled with on who did sin. Was it him? Was it his parents? What was it? And you reveal to us that it was for your glory that, this, that he was born blind, that your glory would show forth. And we just ask you, Lord, to bless your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And so here Jesus just passed by. You know what? Right after people were trying to stone him, you know, you just read prior to this, men were after him, wanting to have him killed. You know, even if I had the power to heal people, I don't know if I would have been like, after, as people were trying to get me, and I think, okay, you know what? I'm going to take my time. I'm going to stop here. I'm going to treat this guy. Just imagine if you're a doctor somewhere. And then you have some type of tribe just wanting to come kill you, and they're after you. You're probably not going to stop by somewhere where they could find you and take care of that business. You'd be trying to flee for your life. But Jesus, being the Lord of mercy, the King of kings, he saw a man that was born blind. It was blind from birth. And his, his disciples, so this isn't even the Pharisees, it is his disciples. They're asking the question, who did sin? Who was it? Was it the man? Was it, was it, was it his parents? Now they assumed the popular Jewish doctrine that anyone's physical suffering is the direct result of personal sin. Therefore, they saw only two um, possible explanations for um, his condition. They saw either the sins of this man or of his parents caused this blindness. But for the man having been born blind, could not really have been responsible for his own condition at this time. But um, the um, Jewish belief was, and then, you know, the Bible does say that we are shaped in iniquity, um, that, you know, we, are, we come with the sinful nature coming from the seed of Adam. But yet it's a willing choice. We see, you know, that child would have been innocent. 
the child would not have done any great sin to bring this blindness upon him. And so then they're asking, is it his parents? And then, if it was his parents, it hardly seems fair that their child should be punished for their sin. And so there was the dilemma. Who is at fault? Why does this man have this infirmity? And as we read later on, that basically all he could do was beg. He, could, he couldn't see anyone. He wasn't able to go to work anywhere. He, um, they, they looked at the blind people as the outcasts um, back in this day. But what was the cause of them being born blind? And you know what people today even sometimes wonder when they see some kind of hardship, some type of major tragedy go happen in someone's life. You know, sometimes we want to think of, okay, you know what, it was probably because of this sin, or it was probably because of that, that they're being punished for it. Sometimes that could even happen with ourselves, where we feel a guilt, not because we did anything wrong, but we feel like maybe the chastening hand of God is on our life, and we don't know what, or we don't know um, why. And sometimes, it indeed can be chastisement from the Lord. You know, in Numbers 12.10, the Bible talks about how the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And this was speaking out against the man of God, Moses. And here we see she was, she was being critical of him, because he had married an Ethiopian woman. That he, he had married a black woman. So I don't know if that's what it was, because it was of the mixed race, and that's what they were critical, she was being critical of. That's what it appears to be. And you know what? God didn't chastise Moses and the woman. You know, we all come of one blood. We all come of one blood from Adam and Eve. And so we see God chastens. Miriam, she becomes leprous because how she was speaking against Moses, whom God had called to lead um, the people. Their attitude was, can't we speak on behalf of the Lord on our own as well? And then she was chastened. We see Jesus, um, when he healed the man at the pool, um, he said, behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. And so here, Jesus is warning the man. You need to make sure you're not going to keep committing um, that sin, whatever it was, or a worse thing may come unto you. So there is the chastening hand of God. We see the Apostle Paul in talking to the church at Corinth, and he says, many are weak and sickly among you, because they were partaking in the Lord's Supper unworthily. And so we do bring God bringing chastening on His children. And so it is good when you know what something is going on in our life to seek the Lord. Say, Lord, is this something in my life? Is this some sin in my life? Is this and if you know there's a sin in your life, you may already know there's a good likelihood it's because you're being chastened of the Lord. Um, you're being chastened for that sin. But sometimes there could maybe are the secret sins of your heart that you didn't really recognize this sin until you really asked God to search your heart. 
And then you get, get it right with the Lord. Now sometimes hardships to children can be the result of their parents' actions. Children are sometimes forced to suffer the natural consequences of their parents' sinful behavior. For example, the eyes of babies born to women with certain STDs can become infected through the birth canal and be blinded if they're not medically treated right away as part of the sin of, the, of his or her parents. A baby's um, health can also negatively be affected by a mother's smoking, a drinking of alcohol, um, or drug abuse. You know, when I was um, running a bus ministry, you know, I saw lots of children affected because of their parents' terrible behavior. Child abuse, all kinds of things. <clears throat> now, that's not the child being punished by the wrath of God, but being affected by the sins of mankind. It's a society children suffer the consequences of their parents' generation. Exodus 25 says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And so this isn't speaking of an individual case basis, but basically generationally, um, that is a society that children are going to suffer from the sins of their parents unto the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So it's, they're still sinning on their own, the third and fourth generation, that they've continued that hatred towards God. Okay? So this wasn't like a punishment on a child because their father sinned. You know, that's foreign to Scripture. You, um, we read on in Deuteronomy 24, verse 16. It says, The father shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for their, the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. And so God holds every and each one of us responsible for our own sin. And that's where we see even in the fall of Adam and Eve. We see that they all blame one another. We see um, Adam saying, it was the woman that thou gavest to me. So Adam blames God and the woman. And the woman blames the serpent. But you notice not one of them escaped punishment from God. All of them were affected by the sin. All of them were involved in the sin. And so an individual is not responsible for their father's sin. Now, not every time something bad happens to us, particularly in this case, is it the consequence of a direct sin. Now, we have the effects of sin on our culture, on our world. You know, the reason there is disease, the reason we do die is ultimately because in the past, Adam and Eve's sin and that sinful nature has passed on all of us and we are all affected by that. But not every sickness, illness, or tragedy is the result of a direct sin that we have 
committed. Usually it's when we seek the Lord, again, we can know in our heart if we're being chastened. But there are times where we simply maybe are overly insecure when there isn't a particular sin. You know what I say? You know a child um, ends up perishing in great tragedy. You know what? Parents will often ask, Lord, why? Why is this happening? What did I do to deserve to lose my child? Well, why? And so we often ask the question, why? Why did this happen? Why did my family member um, get cancer? Or why did my spouse leave me? I've been faithful to them. Why? What did I do? And so they ask Jesus, who did sin? Was it him or was it his parents? And Jesus answered, neither have this man sinned nor his parents. Neither one of them had sinned. Now he's not saying neither of them have ever sinned. He's not saying they live perfect lives, that these are three other sinless people in the world. He's talking about in this particular case, this particular issue, neither one of these had sinned to cause this blindness. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Sometimes, again, when bad things happen to people, they can question God. There's always, again, the chance there can be the chastening, but oftentimes, it's uncomfortable situations happen in our life that have nothing to do with God chastening us. Trials are a part of life, and they can be used to show God's glory. Go ahead and turn your Bible to Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 11 is known as the Hall of Faith. Instead of the Hall of Fame, we call it the Hall of Faith. People that have had by faith, they had great victory. And many times we look at the Hall of Faith as well. Look at all these wonderful things happening. Look at um, Noah building the ark and being safe on the ark. And, and we look at Abraham and different successes that he had, different victories people had. But none of those came without obstacles. We see the end result. But think about how fearful it would have been even for Rahab the harlot to receive the spies in from a foreign nation, to, to receive them in and, and then be outed by her own community. You know, there's a lot of fearful things that could have happened to them, but by faith she received them in and recognized their God to be the true God. And so we see a lot of challenges. Hebrews 11 and verse 24. We're not even going to be able to go through all of them. But it says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Man, Moses had it made. And he was in Pharaoh's household. The, 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 the world power, the leader of, the, of, of a world power that basically was the supreme power of the world in that day. That he had prestige. That he could have once became the next Pharaoh. But he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God 
Most like, you know what? I am not just trying to have my life be comfortable. I'm not just after great treasures. I'm not just trying to be where it's classy, um, where, where the elite are. He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. In our flesh, none of us want to say, hey God, sign me up to be afflicted. God, sign me up to struggle with this disease. Sign me up to be persecuted. Sign me up to have the supreme ruler of the world at the time to turn away from that and then to be persecuted and chased by them by multitudes of an arm in an army. Choose and rather to suffer affliction with the people of God instead of looking at himself above the rest of the people of God. Then you enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. And so he was aware, he was not ignorant. He knew treasures and great wealth We're just waiting for Him. But He chose to suffer affliction with the rest of the people of God. He did not choose to stay or go where His life was going to be all comfortable. He chose to be willing to suffer. Go to verse 32. He goes, what shall I more say? You know, He already gives a list of people that have shown God's glory by faith. And he says, you know what, what should I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. And he goes on this list that there are so many we have in the Old Testament Scriptures of examples of God moving in people because of faith. He goes, and of Barak, and of Sam, Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms. If you're going to subdue a kingdom, there's going to be a fight. There's going to be a battle. It wasn't like they just walked in and all these people just all of a sudden started following them. No, there was a battle. There was a battle to be won. Wrought righteousness. Obtained promises. That all looks good. That all looks flowery. They obtained promises. But look, they stopped the mouths of lions. They saw angels stop the mouths of lions. We saw Samson. We saw David stop the mouths of lions. That is not comfortable Christianity, so to speak. That is difficulty. That is going in fearful and challenging situations. I do not want to go in head to head with a lion. Okay? Okay, you know, Proverbs talks about how the slothful man says, Oh, there's a lion in the street. I'm not going. You know, all of a sudden, I would become slothful. I am not going either. Well, the point of Proverbs was, you know what? Mankind in its sinful and lazy nature will find an excuse for anything. Why not to work? Okay? But these are obstacles, 
Quench the violence of fire. Escape the eggs of the sword. Having people chasing them with swords. Out of weakness were made strong. Wax valiant in fight. Turn to fight the armies of aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. That sounds wonderful. But it wasn't wonderful when they saw their child die. Okay? And others were tortured. Tortured. We have it so easy in America compared to many places around the world. And we don't have to feel guilty for that. We can be thankful for um, the freedoms that we have in America. But let us show mercy, compassion, and sympathy and be a help, be a support where we can for those around the world. Just, just a couple of weeks ago or within the last week, a Bible translator in Cameroon was killed. That's where we have missionaries at. You know, they're currently in the States. They're currently seeking the Lord on what their mission is to be because they can't really get back in there with all the war, civil war that's going on there. But he was killed and his wife had her arms slaughtered off. Being a Bible translator. Translating the Word of God. And here... We can have issues because it's too hot or too cold in the sanctuary. We look for Christianity to be too comfortable. He goes, not accepting deliverance. Was Obadiah Holmes, you know, in the early history of America, You know, the Protestants and the Catholics hated Baptists. They probably still do, but they're not killing us right now. Okay. But they, they, they had, it was Christians, so to speak, that were torturing with whips Obadiah Holmes for preaching the gospel. And he says, you have struck me as with roses. Not accepting deliverance. They were offered deliverance. They were offered to pay a fee. And they would let them go. And he said, I am not going to pay a fee. I am not going to admit guilt. I am free for what I'm doing. I am preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am not going to accept that I am guilty of any crime. And so they whooped them. More and more, being tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel, cruel mockings and scourgings. And you know, the Bible talks about those when they will so take you in the synagogues or into the courts. You know, if, they, if the chief of police came in, arrested all of us, took us to court, that wouldn't be a fun, lovely experience we'd be looking forward to. There could be anxiety that we end up building up if we're not resting in Christ. But if our rest is in Christ, we could endure those things, not accepting deliverance. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. 
They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. So now it's not all looking like it's all glamorous. This was difficult hardships. This was people losing their life for following God. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You wonder who the cavemen were. They were saints of God um, in the Old Testament that were being persecuted and Christians in the New Testament that they would be fleeing persecution and living in caves. That's what the cavemen were. They weren't some ignorant, prehistoric type of um, human ape mixed kind. And these all having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise. That they did not even get to see what was better yet to come. That Jesus would one day walk on earth, God in the flesh, dwelling with mankind, dying and resurrecting again. And then that now when we're saved, we receive the permanent indwelling of the Spirit of God and being sealed to the day of redemption, that one day we'll be able to walk on the streets of gold. And it's not the gold we'll be looking forward to, it'll be seeing the face of our King. This wasn't just Old Testament saints, so it wasn't like Old Testament saints, they suffered, New Testament saints, oh, it's just all peace and joy. Now there was all peace and joy, but it was through affliction. 1 Corinthians 4. Go ahead and turn there. First Corinthians 4, verse 9. For I think that God have set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to mansions. No. As it were appointed to death. Wasn't like being an apostle was like, oh, we have this great prestige. Oh, we have people bowing down to us, kissing the ring on our finger like they do with the Pope. Nothing like that at all. They were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Paul is using some sarcasm here. That here at the church at Corinth, where they felt like they were elite, that they were believers and they had it made, that, that they looked at themselves is prestige, that they felt they were wise. The Apostle Paul is mocking them, basically, saying, yeah, you know what, being sarcastic. Yeah, yeah, you're wise in Christ. Well, we're made to be fools. That you, have, you are rich while we are poor. You read the book of Corinthians, and he rebukes the carnality of the Christians at the church at Corinth. He goes, even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. 
Here, Paul is acknowledging, you know what, Christianity 101 doesn't mean everything is going to be smooth sailing. No, he goes, we're following God, we're serving God, we're suffering hunger, we're thirsty, where there's times we have no clothes, there's times where we have no dwelling place. We have no idea where we're going. We're just going around preaching the gospel and that they were despised and labor working with our own hands, being reviled. Again, the Christians at Corinth, they thought of themselves to see wheat and they thought it was a shame for a man to do manual labor with his hands. Right? This, is, this is a shameful people if you got to work with your hands. We see that Apostle Paul was a tent maker, uh, making tents. He says, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscoring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. The apostles, early preachers, live at the lowest levels of society. Paul says, not many noble are called. The God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Paul traveled on and on, moved from place to place without settled residence. And we see even Jesus at times where he had no place to lay his head. And all these hardships did not happen because of sin in their life. These were people following wholeheartedly after God. They suffered. They were willing to suffer. And we see Paul, Silas, when, when they're in prison, we see Peter as well. They're singing in prison. And we barely sing in church, but man, they were singing out in prison. Sometimes God places storms in our life that Christ might be glorified through us. God described Job as a man who was perfect and upright and one that feared God and that skewed evil. And yet he lost his cattle. He lost his servants. He even lost his children. And he became severely ill. A lot of us would maybe sink into depression, question the goodness of God. Job grieved. You know, what parent would not grieve over the loss of their children? If someone did not grieve over the loss of their children, there's something wrong with the parent. Yes, I mean, we know they're with the Lord. You know, we rejoice they're with the Lord, but we grieve at our loss. But through this great storm, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Job's response was to continue to worship God and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, there's a peace that enters our life when we can really live and model what Job lived. And where we truly understand God gives, God takes away. 
God is sovereign. God will work it out for good, um, even the bad things that maybe happen in our life. After going through even more trials, he retained this attitude and said of the Lord, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Now, even if God was to take my life, I'm going to trust him through it all. Job was able to cope with his trials of life because he understood who his God was. That God rules over everything. That with God, things are eternal, not temporary. Jonah, on the other hand, faced a fierce storm because of disobedience. So sometimes bad things could be happening because we're not following the Lord. But then again, the Apostle Paul again endured many storms of life because he was faithful to the Lord. Even in the face of persecution. Ananias even said regarding Paul, Jesus said to Ananias regarding Paul, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And he ends up writing to Timothy later, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Doesn't say maybe, but shall. If you are going to live godly in this world, you will suffer persecution. Mark it down. Doesn't mean you're going to be persecuted 100% of the time, at all times. But if you live godly, you will be persecuted. Maybe amongst those you work with, maybe amongst even family, amongst friends. If you live godly, if you don't participate in the evil activities of those you know, you'll be mocked. You'll be persecuted. Peter wrote in his epistle, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. You know, a lot of times, you know, I remember, you know, at school, you know what, that there would be Christians that would be ashamed um, when, when people would know. People would be ashamed to pray publicly in the cafeteria. And then I would be there praying. And there would be sometimes Christians that would come to me and say, you know, I appreciate you praying. You know, I'm kind of fearful to do that here at the school. You know, you think of what Jesus endured for us. How can we not stop and pray to Him and not be ashamed? He goes, let Him not be ashamed, but let Him glorify God on His this behalf. So just like it's a blind man that we'll read more about later. Don't worry, we're not going to go through the whole chapter today about the blind man being healed. But we see He glorified God through it. And when we suffer persecution, when we suffer tragedy, when we suffer things that have nothing to do with our sin, but it's just the effects of life, glorify God. Glorify God in life and glorify God in your death. When Jonathan Edwards, the great pastor and theologian, died unexpectedly from a vaccination, his wife wrote these words, What shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. Oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands on our mouths. 
The Lord has done it, but my God lives and He has my heart. We are all given to God. Oh, I'm sure she grieved about her husband dying. But yet she recognized that God was sovereign, that God took him. You facing the storm in your life today? It's worth asking the Lord. Is this, Lord, am I being chastened? Is there some sin in my life that you are keeping a blessing from me? Is there sin in my life that keeps on bringing these consequences? Seek the Lord. But if the Lord is giving you peace through that when you've sought Him, don't let your anxiety build up and keep thinking, there's something I'm doing wrong. What is it? I'm doing something wrong. No, that's going to rob you of joy. It's going to rob you of victory. It's going to rob you from moving forward. Instead, go, Lord, I may not understand, but through this, I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to sing praise to you, my God. I'm going to, um, when people come and go, I don't know how you do it, I'm going to give praise to my Jesus. And trust in God. Rather than doubt His goodness, remember the proclamation in Genesis 18.25, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Be of good courage through the battles of life. Historian Mark Brinsey wrote, A battlefield is a deadly place, even for generals. And it would be naive to suppose Stonewall Jackson never felt the animal fear of all beings exposed to wounds and death. But invariably, he displayed extraordinary calm under fire. A calm too deep and masterful to be mere pretense. His apparent obliviousness to danger attracted notice. And after the first Manassas battle, someone asked him how he managed it. Stonewall Jackson replied, My religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God knows the time for my death. I do not concern myself about that, but to be always ready, no matter where it may take me. That is the way all men should live, and then all would be equally brave. Same Lord who is sovereign to bring storms into our life is the same sovereign who can calm the storms of our life. And if He chooses not to calm the storm, be at peace knowing He's in the storm with you. If you're in Christ Jesus. We see when they, the disciples were in the midst of the storm that they awoke Him saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And He said unto them, Why are ye feel fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Whether Jesus chooses to calm our storm or not, Jesus is there in our midst. We see Jesus tells his disciples, I must work 
the works of Him that sent me while it is day. That is time to be busy. To be busy about the work. For the night cometh when no man can work. Now you know we don't just cast a mission, oh we'll wait till later. No, the night's coming when no man can work. There was the night that was coming when Jesus was going to be crucified and His work on earth in the flesh would be finished. So He was busy seeking and to save that which was lost. Richard Baxter, a Puritan pastor, captured this sense of urgency when he read those words and then wrote, I preach is never sure to preach again. And it's a dying man to dying men. Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Likewise, the church must work the works of Him that sent us. Jesus was working the works of the Father who sent Him. And Jesus, by the authority, by all power, all power is given to Him. And He tells us to go forth, to teach all nations, to baptize, um, to, to teach them whatsoever God has commanded. We must work while it is day. Ministry is going to be difficult. It's not all a bed of roses. You know, when I was at Bible college, it sometimes felt like a bed of roses. There were other people that were plowing to work, and you're part of a group where, man, everyone, you know, the college students, they had to go soul soul winning. You know, that was part of the requirements going to Bible college. And, man, everything seemed glorious. Everything seemed wonderful. It seemed like everybody just loved and serve God. Which later you find out some of them were just, it was just the outward show. That there wasn't any heart connection. There wasn't any true walk with God. They were just walking the walk, so to speak, on the outside, but there was no relationship. But yeah, it was a wonderful time. You know, there were a lot of people that did love and serve God. But now a lot of times preachers, including myself, we didn't go out, and we think, man, everybody's just going to want to get saved. Everybody's going to want to come and hear me preach. You know what? The Bible says, you know what? They shall not endure sound doctrine. You know what? That in the last days, why would they want to keep enduring? You know, we read what the apostles said they went through, the suffering shipwreck, being stoned. It's not all glamorous. It is a battle, but we must work while it is day. While we are here, while we have our candlestick. 2 Timothy 4.5 says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. In chapter 2 he told Timothy, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore are going to have a bed of roses. No. No. Thou therefore endure Hardness. It's not comfortable enduring hardness. It's not comfortable at all. 
Now, Jesus did say, you know what, follow me. His yoke is easy. His yoke is light. But that's where we need to make sure we're yoked with Christ. If we're doing it on our own, the burden will feel heavy. But we need to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that war of entangle of himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who have chosen him to be a soldier. You know, if you're saved, you're born again. Christ has called us to be a soldier of Jesus Christ. And wherever God has us, whether it be here or whether we move somewhere else, we are to endure the hardness for Jesus' sake. To live for Him. To show forth His glory. This man that was born blind, it had nothing to do with his sin. It had nothing to do with shaming his parents. And we must recognize when there's hardships in our life, when there are battles we are facing every day, doesn't mean it's because of sin. It's just God would love to show His glory through us in our afflictions. To be willing to endure for Jesus' sake. And that Bible translator, he was not doing that for his own glory. He was doing it to please the one that has chosen him to be a soldier in Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and go with the Lord in prayer. Clayton, if you could go ahead and play some background music, please. I seek the Lord. I don't know what may be going through your life. Follow Jesus through it all. He's in the storm with you. And He can calm that storm. That could be how He shows His glory. Could heal you of some disease, some illness, some battle you're going through. Someone forsake you, abandon you in your marriage. And yet, through that difficulty, you could show the glory of God. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus is your Savior, if you don't know if you would die today, that you would be with Jesus, that you would be with Him in heaven, come let me know and we'll show you from the Word of God that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That salvation's not of our works. It's not of trying to do good because we all fall short. The Gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, is that He died for your sin. Now this man, this blind man, We'll see later. I won't preach the second message today. But we see Jesus did a miracle and took the blindness away from His eyes that He was able to see. 
But a miracle like that does not equal salvation. I've asked someone before, how do you know you were saved? And, and they said, well, you know, this one time we were in the middle of the desert and we started praying because we ran out of gas. Or, or no, we had, they had gas, but they, they ran out of water in the, in the car. That, that the engine stalled. And then they prayed and all of a sudden there was rain that came down in this small location went down this little um, concrete-like gutter, and then the water went in. They got their cup and filled water up and then filled it in. Praise God if that miracle happened. But that does not equal salvation. Just because we experience a miracle from a benevolent God does not mean we're saved. We are not saved till we trust in the good news that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again for our sins. And the blind man, what he realizes later, like first he's like, I don't know. I just know I was blind, and now I see. Jesus later met up with him. He says, does thou believe on the Son of God? And he's like, who is he that I might believe? And Jesus said, he that speaketh unto thee am he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. That moment, he had salvation. So don't think salvation is just because something good happened in your life. Just because you were healed of some cancer or disease. That doesn't mean salvation. Yes, that's a miracle of God. But salvation is even a greater miracle where you're redeemed, where you are going to hell paying the consequence for your sins. And this man, this blind man, was going to pay consequences for sin that he did commit in his life. Now again, he wasn't blind because of his sin, but he would have had to pay the price for the sin in his life. But he received salvation, and Jesus went and paid that price for him. Don't know Jesus, your Savior. Come talk with me today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. May there many times be things in our life that we're blind to. But you give us sight that you uh, make us to see. Sometimes it's wonderful truths in your word. That there's things we've missed before, even though we've read through your word multiple times. And you open our eyes to some different truths. Not a new truth, the truth that's been written, but new to us. And Lord, whatever trials you bring us through, we just pray, Lord, that we would show your glory, that we would endure afflictions. In Jesus' name.